Hi. Thank you. So there are really only two types of people in the world and also in this church. Those who desperately need grace and Jesus. (laughs) So what do you do with the difference? In other words, the thing I'm asking, what do you do with sin and guilt and regret and all of those things? What do you do with them? Friends, this message is a message of hope and direction on precisely where to place those things. Are you ready? Yes. Come on. See, I love that. I, I still remember when I was waiting to get which thing I would get for this teaching moment, and I'm waiting, and I, and I requested Psalm 23. Thanks, Albert. <laughs> and then I received Psalm 51. Some of you know Psalm 51. It's David's deepest, darkest confession. And the cool part about this confession, the cool part about it is God said, I'm going to go ahead and print the full story so you know where it comes from. He doesn't just print David's moment with Goliath. He doesn't just print David's Psalm 23. He also prints David's biggest failure because he knows we need to hear it. We need to learn from it so that we can respond like he does in Psalm 51. The backstory is in 2 Samuel, starting in chapter 11. We read this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. In other words, he didn't go off to war. One evening... David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David knew Uriah. There was a season in David's life where he was running because he was being hunted by King Saul. And David was wandering in the wilderness and there was a group of men that volunteered to put their life on the line to protect David. They called it David's mighty men. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. Uriah, the husband of the woman. David knew the name, yet his sin was great. As we continue reading. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. What do you do with your sin? In this moment, David decides he's going to try to cover it up. And so what he does is he says, okay, um, so, okay, I made a mistake. She's pregnant. Okay, I'm going to bring back her husband from war. 
with the hope that he stays in his own home, sleeps with his own wife. So by the time everyone finds out that she's pregnant, everyone will assume it's his. So he has the cover up. He brings Uriah back for more, asks about how the war is going. And then you can go home and get some rest. And Uriah was a noble man. In fact, he didn't go home that night. He slept at the front gate with the other servants. And David finds out about it. You didn't go home? And he said, no. He goes, how could I? My, my comrades are off at war. So David tries even harder this time. He gets him drunk, <laughs> tries to send him back home. Uriah does not go home, does not sleep with his wife. And so David scrambles. And the same hand that wrote Psalm 23, the same hand that wrote 73 to 75 of the Psalms is recorded writing another note. And it says this to the commander of the officer, to the commander of the um, army. Send Uriah to the front lines to his death, period. Folds it, puts it in the hand of Uriah, trusting that he'll be noble yet again, and then sends Uriah off to his death sentence. And then I remember reading a commentator talking about this moment and it says, and then David just walks away and keeps on living like nothing happened. In fact, he swoops in because Uriah is killed. And then he swoops in and in front of the whole palace, he takes Bathsheba in, I'll be the rescuer, I'll be the hero yet again. And this commentator writes that he just kind of goes on living as if nothing happened. And friends, I gotta be honest with you, I thought about it and I thought, no, he doesn't. Yes, he does get caught, we'll get there. But friends, I don't think in the time between the death of Uriah to the moment that he's caught, that he's not just walking free. How do I know? Because I too have had guilt. Anyone else? Can you imagine the darkness? Dare I even say the Probably the self-hate. I don't think he was just walking around as if nothing happened. I think he hated it. I think he hated it. I think he was isolated. I think he was lonely. I think he was depressed. But here's the good news. As found with all of scripture, don't be surprised. God still moves toward David. Even his movement is grace. This time there's a knock at the door in David's life. We pick up the story in chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, Nathan said, there were two men. In other words, he tells him a story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. He shared his food. It drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man. But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the one ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger hearing the story and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he had done such a thing and had no pity. David's angry. 
You know why I think he's so angry at listening to the story? Because what's the story? There's a guy that had everything and a guy that had one thing. The guy had everything, had a visitor. And rather than taking out of his wealth, he chooses to take the one thing the poor man had. I think David hears the story. I think David understands. And I think David is angry because have you ever noticed? And if you don't, I want to tell you some hard truth. Anything I think that brings anger within us is also a reflection back to us of some things that are going on in our own hearts. Do you know this? In fact, sitting in just this text alone in this narrative, I've started doing something different with my life and I gotta be honest, it's had some profound implications. I've allowed every single time, I lied, it's not every time, I mess up, I don't miss it and I forget. Anyone else? (laughs) But here's what I've chosen to do. Each time I get angry, or I'm gonna throw this word, annoyed. Do people annoy you ever? I've decided each time with this moment that each time I get angry or annoyed, I'm gonna do something different than just hang out there and judge. Here's what I'm gonna do, and here's what I've been doing. I've turned to God and said, God, thank you for them. Would you fix me? You see, anger, annoyance, what that does is it just simply reflects back to us some junk that is going on in our own lives. Would you join me in that? If if nothing else you take from this message, would you allow anger and would you allow annoyance to have a new prompt in you? Let it trigger something. And rather than letting it just trigger staying in an angry or an annoyed place, allow it to trigger a prayer. What prayer? The one that goes like this, God, thank you for them. And would you fix me? Because suddenly when you find yourself fixed, he might even give you compassion for the anger that's been coming in their direction. And guess what they need? Not your anger. They need your compassion. How do we know? Because we need his. You see, Nathan tells David this story. David burns with anger, and then David gives four words. And he says this to David. You are the man. And what does David do? He knows it. He's caught in it. What does he do? I wonder if he knew the backstory of what people, humanity, tend to do. See, on page three of the Bible, you have the first created humans, and when they got caught, here was what they did in response. This is what they did with their sin and their guilt. What they did is they hid. They hid. And hiding might look like actually hiding it and keeping it from people while it eats you alive on the inside. Or maybe hiding is ignoring and just kind of keeping going. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to kind of ignore it. Every once in a while I'll confess a few, but I'm just going to keep going. And maybe I'll compare, but maybe I'll compare in order to not feel so bad about what I'm doing. And then you find yourself judging, right? They hid. Why did they hide? Because they were ashamed. And that's the thing about shame is it's awful. It just keeps you going down that downward spiral. It's awful. Another thing they did is they blamed. Uh, It was their fault. They made me do it. Do you want to know why they, actually no. Do you want to know why I tend to blame? Because it's a lot easier to play the victim than be guilty. And truth be told, there are moments in our lives where we are the victim. But can I tell you the best posture of a victim is to acknowledge your own guilt. Because when you do that, you receive his love, his compassion, and then you have courage to respond to the chaos. 
So Adam and Eve, they were ashamed, so they hid and they blamed. And then they just lived in this fear and anxiety and God moved toward them. And he asked them the question, right? Where are you? And as soon as I was given Psalm 51, I went straight to Genesis 3. I said, God, teach me this. Teach me this posture. Because I know that by our human nature, if we don't bring it up, we'll just keep running to those places. We'll just keep allowing our sin and our guilt to turn us to shame. We'll just keep allowing it to turn us to hiding or pretending that it's not there. And friends, there's another option. There is another option. How do I know? Because it's recorded right here. And you know what I know about that other option? I know that in the other option, turning away from yourself and your own desire to fix it or trying to fix it and turning to God who can fix it, the beauty of that is that, did you know that God wants to restore the relationship with you more than you want to restore the relationship? He wants to move towards you. I sat in Genesis 3, and I was reading this character of God. I'm going, oh, it's almost like we forget. When we're hiding, we just forget that he's moving toward us with love. I was sitting with it. I got home the very next day. My husband and I caught our four-year-old stealing gummy bears from our own cupboard. <laughs> he was caught. <laughs> and as we were discussing kind of how we were going to respond, I went like this. I'm like, oh, no, no, I've been studying this. I got this one. Okay, I got this one. He's like, what? I'm like, it's fine. Okay. And so I turned the little corner, and there he was, hiding under the couch. And you know how a four-year-old hides? <laughs> You've ever seen them, they do this, like if they can't see you, you can't see them. Have you seen it? <laughs> well, it was the same sort of thing. He's just hiding under, and then his little legs were sticking out. And I wanted to be like, I can see you. <laughs> can I tell you something? I received that while studying this for us. And I had this moment where I realized God is looking at you and going, I can see you. And I can see it. And I see what it is doing to you. And I'm aware of it right there. And so I'm like, I need to move toward my boy. So I'm like, I'm like going over to him. I try to like call him out from hiding. I'm like, come here, buddy. And then he darts for his room. And I'm like, no, don't leave my love. You know, I'm like, come on. Because I'm a parent who loves. And I wasn't angry. I just wanted this little boy to know. Here's what I wanted the little boy to know. Foster. I, and it happened. I wanted to look him in the little face and I wanted him to tell me everything he did so that I could tell him that I love him knowing everything. Because the thing is, if you're only 95% known, you're still unknown. You will not be able to receive the love of God fully because there's still that hint of you that says, I don't know if you'd love me that, knowing that. Friends, he knows all of you. He sees all of you. He knows all of it, and he sees what all of it is doing to you. And he's trying to bring you out, and he wants to look you in your little face and say, I love you knowing all of you. Just talk to me about it. Can I tell you my favorite moment? It took us like 15 minutes to get there because my little boy wanted to move on, and I see it in us too. We just want to move on. I just want to get through it, but then it just lingers there, and I just want to look at him. I'm like, you can tell me. And I know the tendency to hide, but you can tell me. You can tell me because I love you. David knew this, which is why he didn't turn to darkness. He turned to God, knowing that all of who God is is greater than all of his mess. 
and we read about it in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, what you're going to notice is David confesses, he asks for forgiveness, he receives it, and then walks away rejoicing. (laughs) And it's only possible because he knows God. And friends, I think the invitation for us is to not just know God in our head, but know it so much in the depths of us that we're willing to open up the depths of us to even know it there. David writes this. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. He's not asking according to his goodness. (laughs) He's not asking because he's good enough. A lot of us want to feel that way when we approach God. Friends, David understood that he's not, so he wrote according to God's unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are right in your verdict. What's God's verdict? Guilty. David says you're right. And he understands that God does not owe him forgiveness. You are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. It was God's character that brought David to repentance. It wasn't his good deeds. It wasn't mustering up good behavior to feel confident to bring it. It was all God because God is so kind. I remember reading scripture with an intern of mine at my home church, Arbor Road in Long Beach, California. And I remember sitting with my intern, her name, ready? Her name's Faith kind of gives it away. And I remember reading scripture with her. At one point we were reading, it was Christmas time and we were reading Mary's Magnificat. Mary's response to finding out that she was going to be the mother of God's son. And then she gives this expression of praise. But in it, there's a really interesting line. And as Faith and I are reading it, Faith reads this line, you crush the proud. And Faith just starts to cry. I said, Faith, what's going on? She said, he's so kind. And then he starts, she starts crying more. <laughs> if I'm honest, this is what I was thinking. He crushes the proud kind. Go on. <laughs> I really didn't understand. Go on. Tell me more. She goes, oh, Megan. He's so kind that he wouldn't want me to go even another day without acknowledging my pride. He's so kind. He doesn't want you, you, to go even another day buried in guilt and darkness and shame. Will you hear the invitation from our kind God? Romans 2 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. My job as a preacher is not to convict. My job is to let you know the truth. And what's the truth? Well, David talks about it. Have mercy according to your unfailing love. God's unfailing, I even love that he chose that word, unfailing love is greater than your failure. 
according to your great compassion. His care, his compassion for you is greater than your guilt. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. God's ability to cleanse is greater than your ability to stain. It was God's character that led David to be this honest. Verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. David saw his sin. And that's significant. Because did you know that seeing your sin is a gift? See, I think I'm speaking to two very different people in this room. I think there's the people that says, that's hard to believe because I see my sin and I wouldn't call it a present. (laughs) And then there's the other group of people that it's been a while since you've even acknowledged it. I had one conversation with someone from here in the past 24 hours that started the conversation. Oh, I don't have problems. I said, and I wanted to say, I was was kinder because, you know, Jesus says, I wanted to say, no, 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 we all do. And maybe that's your problem. David saw his sin and seeing your sin is actually a gift. How do I know? Because in modern medicine, they've created these really incredible technologies called MRI scanners. Anyone? What does an MRI scanner do? Scans the body to find out where the tumor is, where the cancer might be, where any sort of sickness is. It's very useful and very important. Why? Because it allows us to find healing. We need to know where the sickness is. Church, we need to know where the sickness is if we have any chance at finding healing. If we're playing the game and faking that we're further along than we actually are, we have no chance at freedom. I want to invite you to see it. Do you see the judgmental side of you? Do you see the pride? Some of you I don't have to convince at all. David saw his sin but he also saw that God's love is unfailing, God's compassion is great, and he is the true healer. There's a verse in this text that frustrated me. It frustrated me because David had the audacity to say this to God against you, verse four. Only you have I sinned. I was frustrated, why? Because what about Bathsheba? What about Uriah's fam? What about Uriah? And you write this? And I know that anytime something stirs up in me when it comes to God's word to hang out there, it usually gets me to a really deep place, and it has. And friends, in this verse, I have found a key for me, and I pray for you, and I actually have, I actually have prayed for you. Do you know that? Well, I just told you. <laughs> But for three and a half weeks, I even invited people into it to pray for you to understand this key. And here's what it is. David not only saw his sin, he understood that his sin is against God. He didn't just feel bad for the consequences, by the way, of which there were many. He didn't just feel bad for his bad reputation. In this psalm, we see something profound. And it was that not just that David was emotional and felt regret. David saw that his sin was against the one true, holy, and perfect God. Because friends, here's the deal. If maybe you're sorry because you did get caught, 
or maybe you haven't gotten caught and you're sorry because of how it might hurt people, that is important, but I'll tell you, it's not this sermon. That's a different sermon. Restoring relationships and doing that work. This sermon is between you and him because David goes there. He goes there between him and God because it's not just an emotional moment for David. Because the truth is, you could cry over your sin and not be changed. You can be emotional and it can have nothing to do with God. The key to true life transformation is found in the life of David because what he felt guilty most about was that his sin was actually against God. It wasn't just emotional, it was spiritual. If it's just horizontal, it can be emotional and not spiritual. His understanding was that his sin was against God. And this is not only key for freedom for David, it's key for your freedom too. And God desires not just to restore the relationship between you and him, but he also desires for you to be free, for you to walk in the light, in truth. In verse six in the ESV, it says this, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret place. David was free because he saw his sin was against God and he admits his sin, asks for forgiveness and walks away rejoicing and that's what I want for us. I want us to go there. But the temptation is to come to church, do a little bit of cleanup and then walk out not transformed. And can I tell you this world This world is hard, this world is broken, and we walk into those environments every day. And to be honest, not only are we not gonna be changed, neither will anyone else from us. When's last time you saw your desperate need for grace, ran to the right place, found it, were transformed by it, and then walked with purpose, grateful to give it away in ways people don't deserve either. That's how the church will continue to spread. That's how your friends will meet Jesus. They'll meet him. They never may not read the Bible, but friends, they're reading your life and they want to read a story of grace. Your identity is not just sinner. Your identity is saved. Your identity is not just good person. Your greatest witness will not be your goodness. It will be his grace despite your badness. That will be your witness. But it means you might have to go there. You might have to go there with him. And he's inviting it. His kindness, I hope, is luring you in. I have two sons. One is four and the other one is days away from being one years old. (laughs) Little Jed. And he's just learning to walk. And can I tell you what he does? He tries to walk, he falls, and then he poops his pants. That's my son. (laughs) Do you know, as a parent, I don't get angry at him when he falls. Do you know what my job is as a good parent? Go like this. You can do it. (laughs) You can get back up. You can get back up. I even try to give it in my voice. You can get back up. You can do it. Can you imagine what God's voice is to you going, hey, you can do it. You can get back up. Don't live in that dark, isolated place. It's really uncompelling and it changes no one. And quick note, as I was praying for you, even this particular service, you are not your mistake You're not your mistake. God wants to write not just forgiveness, he wants to write a new name on you. So 
So Jed poops his pants. I know you're not even supposed to bring that up. You're not supposed to talk about poopy diapers in church, and you're definitely not supposed to bring one. (laughs) Right? It's like inappropriate, right? How inappropriate. And the reason I bring it up is because I think we think how inappropriate for us to bring what's really our dirty laundry too. And so we show up with just a pretty decent version of ourselves. And then we leave and try a little bit harder. Friends, that's not the transformation Jesus talks about in his story. And that's not the story he's writing through your life. <laughs> I change, this is a real diaper of his. As soon as I finish it, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> Can I tell you another thing about Jed and his poopy diaper? Because we're just going there. Because, friends, I am, we have a changing table, but as a somewhat busy parent, I don't usually use it. Usually it's like right in the middle of the living room. Don't judge me. I kind of, hold on a second. How's that feel? Okay. It feels gross, right? I agree. So I just kind of change his diaper right in the middle of the living room. How weird would it be if I invited you to my house and you walked in and I was like this, oh, it's such a mess. And you saw it. And like, oh, it's such a mess. I'm so sorry. Let me just, let me just clean up for a second. (laughs) Hold on a second. (sighs) You would think I'm crazy, right? Why? Well, because, hold on a second. (laughs) That's crazy, right? I agree. But friends, I have to let you know, there's a very deep temptation for you to walk into church today and really every single week and walk in here and just kind of do a little bit of this in your own life. While there is a load of crap sitting in the center of your living room. So what are you going to do with it? (laughs) I ordered this on Amazon. And uh, my husband got it. He's like, you got a duster, huh? I'm like, yeah. He's like, those don't really work. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, what does it do? It just like moves it. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of moves it. He catches a little, but then just hangs out with it. <laughs> and, just... and that's the picture for you. Will you address it? And if you don't know what it is, will you ask the Lord to reveal it? Why are you so angry? God desires truth in our inner being. Here's another weird question. Is there any place in your life that you're lying? Even as I ask that question, I'm aware of myself. I sat in preparation for you all and just wrote out one of the most most sincere, gut-wrenching prayers I've ever written. I, I answered the question, where am I lying Where are you pretending to be more spiritual than you actually are? I just wrote, and I wrote, I wrote, and I wrote. And here's the weird part. I understand David's prayer because I prayed it myself. I closed my journal and then walked away lighter. You know how you hear that Jesus' kingdom is like upside down? Everything seems a little bit backwards. Kind of like letting your dirty laundry out there and then walking away with dry cleaning. (laughs) Do you actually believe that that's possible for you? Do you believe God is that powerful? Do you believe God is that kind? Do you believe that his compassion for you is great? And do you believe his healing power is real? 
If so, where will you turn? Will you turn towards your shame or maybe just yourself and your ability to get through it? Or will you actually turn to God? See, there's two realities that come up in this text. First one, we are all guilty. And I know each time I even say, we're all guilty and fall short of the glory of God, part of me goes, ah, but that doesn't keep us from comparing distances. But guess what? The fact that there is any distance means we're all in the same place. One reality, we all fall short and deserve separation. But there's a second reality right in the text that God is still pursuing your failure with an unfailing love. You see, God knew that first reality, which is why he sent Jesus as the second reality. He took your sin on the cross. He proved his power over death in the resurrection. He wants to raise you from death to life. He wants to change your identity from guilty to free. Come broken, walk away healed. Come thirsty, leave filled. He wants to rewrite not just forgiveness in your life, he wants to rewrite a new story. And he can even use the sin. He can even use the past. You see, there's nothing in your life that's too dark. There's nothing that you've done that is too bad. If you say or think, I've gone too far, I can't get right with God, you're wrong. You cannot out-sin the cross. You can't, you haven't, and you won't. All you can do is remember that the cross is for you. Tim Keller did an amazing job of taking these two realities and putting it into this phrase when he said this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Just like David, your life is not about you and what you've done. It's all about God and what he's already accomplished on your behalf. In fact, this is where it gets even crazy. (laughs) He doesn't just save you from your sin. He saves you for a purpose too. David writes about it, verse 13. After he asks for forgiveness, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. And he did read the Psalms. He says, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. God uses bad and broken people because bad and broken people is all that there is. So he uses them. Do you want to see what life looks like being used by God? Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? Remember that one? She was there in the blazing heat of the Middle East getting water, but she showed up at noon. Why? Because she turned to shame too. And if you are someone that's been turning to shame, guilt, hiding, fear, anxiety, all of that, can I tell you, you're not crazy. You're human. And so she was hanging out at a well at noon when no one else would go to the well. Everyone else went first thing. Jesus moves toward her and makes her aware of those two realities. He says, why don't you go grab your husband and come on back? She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. He reminds her that he knows. 
She's guilty, but then he pursues her anyways. He reveals who he is and doesn't just save her from her sin. He saves her for a purpose, and we read about it. John chapter 4, verse 28 says this, then. This is the woman leaving her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? transformation has begun. Not just guilt, not just sadness. Transformation. How do I know? Because she is leaving her water jar, running into town to the people she was hiding from, and she's beginning the conversation with the very thing she was hiding. Your past, your guilt, and your sin will either be Satan's greatest weapon against you or God's most powerful tool. Your greatest witness will not be your goodness. It will be his grace amidst your badness. It will walk in being saved. It will walk into a room being free, not just being good, but recognizing we aren't, he is, and we went to the right place. How will you respond, church? This message is heavy, but hopeful at the exact same time because there's also this radical invitation. Where will you turn? What will you do with your guilt? And what will you do with your sin? I used to always think God's posture was like this on these types of messages. (laughs) Come on. And then I look at the cross, which is in the dead center of the stage, and I realize his posture has always been, I love you. I see you. And I want to know all of you so that you can finally believe that I love all of you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this invitation. Thank you for the awareness of our guilt. I pray that by your spirit, it would turn us toward you. I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Friends, this is the moment where we get to respond. I love the moments after church, after the sermon. See, because everyone gets to play their part. I'll come and do this part. Those girls will sing because those girls can sing. You know what I mean? (laughs) Did you know that you have a part to play this morning? In fact, you were handed an index card as you walked in. Very simply, it'd be silly for us to say, now go do business without giving you that opportunity in church to do the business. Would you allow his kindness, kindness to draw you to repentance. We're gonna give you three minutes. If you need a card, there's some ushers coming down. You can just slip up your hand and we'll hand one to you. The next three minutes are yours. And friends, it's such an invitation to a God who's moving towards you with his love. Let's respond together. do with this paper (laughs) there's a lot of options for you first one might be just to fold it up keep going James gives us some very specific wisdom when he writes this therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed 
the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If I can give you any push, and I'm not saying this as someone who hasn't done it. In fact, this week I had five girlfriends over to my house and I just shared with them my card. And friends, I've been able to feel the love. I highly recommend listening to James' words. And I'll give you two specific ones. Share it with a person and make sure you go to prayer. A person. And if I can give any wisdom on what type of person to share it with, share it with someone who knows Jesus so that there's a chance they might respond like he would. (laughs) And if you don't have a person like that, I have good news. You're in the right place. In fact, there's an incredible group called Recover. And what I love about Recover is while it can hold the people with addiction and it can really come alongside some crazy behavior and specific sins, it's also for everyone. (laughs) To what? To recover from people-pleasing. To recover from trying to impress everyone all the time. To recover from unhealthy relationships. It allows you to meet with people who understand and want to maybe just figure out what's the sin underneath the sin. Because if man, if we could pull that out of there, we'd really find some freedom. You don't have to go through this alone. Recover's a great place. Or maybe today I even had a husband and wife, really sweet, walk out of here after last service and they're like, we're gonna go talk to each other. And friends... I can't wait them to meet each other with love, knowing all of each other. Go to a person. Another beautiful option that we've prayed over, talked about quite a bit, is actually the Willow staff is here. And they just want to pray with you. How beautiful. And friends, can I tell you, if you're the person that knows you need that, but you're kind of fearful about coming forward and being the one that's seen, I used to think going forward to receive prayer was weak until I really prayed. And I found that what that is, is moving toward a person of power and then bringing my stuff to the right place. It's actually an incredible sign of strength. If you need prayer this morning, would you courageously come forward? The Willow staff actually is gonna come up now and begin to line the stage. They get to be the hands and feet of Jesus and then not try to fix you, not try to counsel you, but simply to bring you to the right person in prayer. Would you all stand with me as we send you out? I want to send you out with this psalm in Psalm 63, another psalm of David, one of my favorites. Church, may you know that these can be our words too. He writes, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouths will praise you. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, I pray and ask that we would be a people of praise today. God, would we not walk out with our heads down because you've already tilted it upward. I pray for those who need to move toward prayer to move 
and to not leave, to not walk away. Heavenly Father, only you can do all these things. So I pray that as we continue to come before you with everything, with all the things, that we would meet you, find you, and then move out toward other people who need you too. Give us the courage, Lord, we pray. And all of God's children said in unison, amen. We'll see you next week, Willow.